Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is Morgan Zeggers. Today is part two of Tactics of the Communist Left. In the first part, we only got through the first tactic of the three that I wanted to talk about. And we also talked about socialism, totalitarianism, and authoritarianism, how those are the what I would consider to be the three pillars of communism and what usually you can see happening in a country as it marches down that long road to that terrible end. That being said, because we only talked about one of them, which was changing language, the manipulation of words, the changing of definitions, the controlling of the narrative by doing so. Uh, Because we only talked about that last time, I want to talk about Marxism and taking advantage of a crisis today, the next two tactics. So that being said, let's get into it. But of course, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent. It's basically a towel leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels, towels that work. It's fantastic. Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can receive a six-piece towel set for $39.98 with promo code MORGAN. I use these towels in my own bathroom. It's fantastic. I use the black ones and the white ones. Go to MyPillow.com right now. Click on the radio listener special. It comes with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's MyPillow.com, promo code MORGAN. Thank you. Okie dokie. Now that we've talked about my pillow, we could talk about the topic of the podcast. Oh, exciting. Just a little recap for last time. So we talked about socialism, totalitarianism, authoritarianism, things that I consider to be the three pillars of communism, the steps that you have to take and why socialism is the economic step. And because of that, the most important step and required step to get to communism, because you have to have financial and economic control of the people in order to get the kind of control that communists want in a society in terms of the people in power versus the mass population. Now, what we then talked about was the tactic manipulating, controlling the language. And this is all to end up controlling the narrative and the conversation politically. What are some examples? I mean, you could look at just the straight up definition of socialism. They don't even admit to the definition of it anymore. They don't even admit that, yeah, we want to seize the means of production or what would happen if we did it, aka Venezuela or other countries that have actually seized the means of production and then it had it led to economic collapse and societal collapse. Instead, they say, no, 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 we're democratic socialists, which is another classic tactic to reject the term. It's what Fidel Castro had done. It's what many socialist dictators, communist dictators throughout history have done as well. They say, no, 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 we're not socialists. We're democratic socialists. And no, 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 it's not going to end up like the last times. We're going to end up like Nordic Europe this time. And they can't even get the definition straight. Okay. So that's one little example. Then the next one is all the fluffy words. Think of justice. Think of peace. Think of progress. All the words that they use to describe what they claim society will end up like and end up with if we just continue to implement their policies. However, the past 
History has shown over two dozen examples of socialism not leading to progress, but instead regressing society backward to the dark ages. Okay, so whenever you hear progress from a leftist, just run the opposite way. Never take them seriously. Another example is a more modern word. It's herd immunity. It was changed during the era of COVID where the experts stopped claiming that herd immunity was what it actually is, is when, you know, people get COVID or people get vaccinated for whatever sickness it is, eventually people build up a herd immunity to it and people stop getting so affected by it. But that didn't really fit the vaccination narrative that the experts needed us to embrace. And so the definition of herd immunity was officially changed to consider only the amount of people in a population that became vaccinated. That was kind of a big one. And then I shared how we're seeing the control of gender in such a unique and totalitarian way that it's playing into the rise of the left. We're seeing this combination of not just economic socialists that are trying to control society, that have these economic goals for us and all this stuff. You also see these very woke and culturally focused people that are helping divide society. I don't know if they're working together or if just the fact that you have this rise of people that want to reject basic science, reject gender, reject the sexes and these basic facts. Is it all part of the same scheme or is it truly just happening at the same time coincidentally as society decays from so many factors and it's playing right into the hands of the dangerous people that want to control us as useful idiots, you know? I honestly have no idea. I I could totally see it as you have separate rises of people like AOC and Bernie Sanders that, yes, want to implement economic socialism, while you also have this crazy critical race theory and gender theory rising up in its own ways, and it's leading to this complete unison and the rise of these different movements makes it seem like, oh, it's all this one big movement together, when in reality, it's just like the crazy timing that it's all happening at the same time. Honestly, who knows? But the rise of control in terms of sexuality, gender, the LGBTQ community, we saw a really good example of controlling the language when Amy Coney Barrett, who is now a Supreme Court justice, said sexual preference instead of sexual orientation or whatever we're supposed to say now. Sexual preference used to be a common term that Joe Biden had used, that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had used, and the left loves those people. They said it. There there was no problem when they said it, but they were looking to control the narrative against Amy Coney Barrett and make her seem like a bad person. So they all of a sudden turned this term gender or sexual preference into an inappropriate and offensive term. Now, what I forgot to include in the last episode is that this went as far as the online dictionary. I can't remember if it was Merriam-Webster or Oxford at this point because it's been a couple of years now. I think it was Oxford Dictionary. They changed the definition by the end of the day. Okay, so this hearing with Amy Coney Barrett, when she was presented in front of the Senate, asked all these questions. She's asked the question in the earlier part of the day. Midday, it becomes this storm in the Senate about, oh, everybody's going to hammer her about this, how rude she was, everything. By later on in the day, you see national news headlines, breaking news. Amy Coney Barrett is getting slammed for saying this really homophobic, hateful thing because she said that sexuality is a preference as if it's changeable when in reality you're born this way. It's super hateful of her. How dare she? She shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. And then by the end of the day, 
Oxford Dictionary, I believe it was, or Miriam, I can't remember. The dictionary changed the definition of sexual preference. It added an asterisk to the word and said, offensive term. <laughs> like, think of the power that you have to have as a political movement to be able to inspire in less than 24 hours an asterisk to be added to words to now call them offensive. Again, in less than 24 hours. It was very impressive and disturbing at the same time. So we talked about all that last episode. If you haven't yet, go listen to that. But today we're going to do part two and hopefully two of two. Hopefully we don't have to do another one of these. I forgot to warn you guys that we're talking about these larger topics because I'm doing a 21-day fast of the news. The church that I go to is encouraging us to give God our first of everything, first of the day, first of the week, first of the month, first of the year. And so 21 days of fasting, I'm doing a soul fast, no news, and a few other things. But it is amazing, and I definitely want to transition away from being so keeping my eye on the news all the time. So it's been a helpful transition as I've already been trying to do that. But it means that I don't know what's happening right now. I've got to be honest. So we're talking about this because it's my classic speech topics. (laughs) So that being said, let's get into the last two topics. The first one that we're going to discuss is Marxism. And then we're going to talk about taking advantage of a crisis. So again, I used to talk about these in 2019, 2020, before COVID. And then boom, COVID hit. And I was like, wow, look at me go. This is horrible, but they do this every time. Marxism, for those of you who don't know, because there's socialism, there's Marxism, there's communism. Let me just get this straight. Marxism is not socialism, is not communism. Socialism is not communism. Like we talked about in the last episode, socialism is the economic step. It's the economic approach. You take over, the government takes over, the regime in power takes over major parts or all of the economy. And that is the economic aspect of communism. Marxism is more so an ideology. It was founded by Karl Marx, but in a very basic and general way, if you haven't read the books, if you haven't read his works, it pits people against each other. It divides people between the haves and the have-nots. And it encourages the have-nots, the poor people of society, to rise up against the haves, against the 1% or the 10%, whatever it may be, to rise up against those evil bad people, the oppressors versus the oppressed. It encourages the oppressed to rise up against the bad people, take them out, and start to control everything as one big in unison group. Okay? So, what you see when when you see a country fall for socialism or communism, you often see the people leading the revolution using Marxism to sow hate, division, and fear to try and get the working class to spark a revolution because they need the masses of people. So you promise them all this stuff. You say, it's not fair for you right now. It's not right for you right now. All that money that they have, it's not fair. All those resources, all those things that they have that you don't have, it's not fair. And if you support us in our mission, you are going to have such a better life, okay? Join us in our revolution and we will take over. We will overthrow. A working class revolution will take place and it'll be completely different. So that usually happens. However. What takes place? The working class is not put in this fantastic democratic style of leadership to control the whole country in some kumbaya uh, unity moment that's like utopian. That never happens. 
Instead, you have these bad guys that inspire the working class to rise up in the revolution. The revolution happens, and then there is a massive power grab where a dictatorship sets in. Because you ousted the people that were in power, you got rid of the rich people, you got rid of the landowners, you encouraged the poor people to go murder the landowners. We saw this happen time and time again. It's very scary when you get to the details of this. But I remember, I can't remember which person I was interviewing. It's on thefreedomrecords.com. If you you watch the few that we've done in communist China, they explain that it got so bad that you had the, the communist leaders encouraging the working class to go out and find the women of the bourgeoisie, to find the women of the wealthier classes, the wives of the business owners and property owners, and and take them, if you know what I mean, right? And so it gets very violent and aggressive, and a lot of hate has to take place to inspire people to go murder an entire group of others out of jealousy and hate and frustration. And for some reason, they fall for it thinking that everything's going to be better when in reality, they just created a power vacuum that the bad people that controlled all of this can easily step into. So Marxism is like the process that kind of has to take place, the division that gets sowed in the population in the early phases. So when we look at classic Marxism, it has to do with class. It has to do with wealth with financial things. So you have the haves versus the have-nots, the rich versus the poor. This is something we've seen time and time again throughout history. And one of my favorite examples of this, it's just a small example, but it, it is profound if you look at how difficult it is. And it reminds me of a lot of the stuff in the Bible. Um, if you're familiar with this, in the Old Testament, the faith used to be about blood sacrifice. You used to have to sacrifice animals. And sometimes it's really hard for us to relate to like, geez, why why were they slaughtering animals all the time? Why did things have to be uh, so bloody? Why did they have to be so aggressive? Like, why couldn't you show your faith in other ways? But if you put yourself back into a situation where you depend, your family depends on getting by by consuming the small herd of animals that you do have, by caretaking them, by by maintaining them, by feeding them constantly, by bringing them to different pastures. You love those animals and you need those animals to get by. So to sacrifice an animal for God or to sacrifice an animal in the name of something, whatever it may be, it's not just Old Testament stuff. To sacrifice an animal is a really big sacrifice because people got by on that kind of stuff. That was their livelihoods. Okay, so you're giving up a really important thing for you. Now, this kind of adds some context here where in Cuba, you had a bunch of people that were in the peasant slash working class. And I I watched this documentary. It was really, really cool. And it talked about how when Fidel Castro got to Cuba to start his revolution, they land on the shores. They had their first big battle against Batista, who was in power. And it didn't go very well, okay? Uh, Fidel Castro ended up with numbers in the teens, like 16 people, 17 people. So how are you going to do a revolution when you're down to this, this few from the start? It's not going to work out very well. And so what ended up happening is they had to build up ranks and they used Marxism to do it. They used divisive tactics to divide the population and gain more to their side. They went from small country town to small country town telling the people there, hey, you know, you guys are the working class in this community. You struggle to get food. You struggle to get by. But the people down there that own that farm, the people down there, down the road with all that land, all that money, all those animals, all that food that you don't have, 
It's not fair that they have so much and you have so little. So what we just did is we just raided their farm, we stole their animals, and we're here to give them to you. And if you join us, then it's going to be 10 times more of this. It's only going to get better. This is the kind of justice that you deserve, okay? It's not fair they have so much, so we took it from them and we're giving it to you. That's called redistribution of wealth, okay? So now when we look at America, it's not exactly like we're in as bad of a place as we have to have our politicians steal other people's animals and give them to us because it's a food shortage and we're struggling. No, instead you have things like, I don't know, tens of millions of people in our country up to their eyeballs in things like student loan debt. And you have politicians that will get on camera, will tell crowds, hey guys, even though I'm part of the 1%, don't listen to that. Just look at these numbers. It's not fair that those wealthy people over there in the 1% and the elites, it's not fair that rich people have so much money and it's not fair you have so much debt. So if you elect me, we're going to take their money and we're going to redistribute it to you because it's not fair what's going on right now. So elect me, give me more power, and I will take what it's not fair for them to have in the first place and give it back to you because it's not right that they had it in the first place. Elizabeth Warren, when I was looking at the different candidates' websites, you could go onto her website and type in how much student loan debt you had. And it did a little calculator of, hey, if you elect Elizabeth Warren, here's what's going to get taken off from your student loans if she's elected and becomes president. So I type in, just as a joke, because I don't have student loans anymore, I typed in $100,000 just to see what would happen if an average voter is like drowning in debt and wants a solution out of it, wants a quick fix. Hey, you click the little boop calculator button on Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign website, and it says you'll have $50,000 removed from your student debt. Is that not buying a vote? I mean, telling who knows how many voters who are doing that calculation, hey, you're going to have $50,000 sliced from the amount that you owe back if you just do this one vote on election day. I mean, come on, really? And so it reminded me of that story from Cuba. What's the other kind of Marxism, though? Cultural Marxism. And this is something that we see with Black Lives Matter. Okay, instead of dividing us, the haves versus the have-nots, the oppressed versus the oppressors, instead of dividing us by class, they are creating other ways to divide the population rooted in more cultural identities like race or religion, which happened in Nazi Germany as well, where Hitler looked at the Jews and said, they're not just a people of faith, they are a race and they need to be eliminated. They are a bad group in society and we need to get justice against them because he said that everybody was wronged by the Jews, right? I don't want to get too much into that, but as much as Hitler and his people deny that he had connections and as much as the socialists want to deny that Hitler has connections to Marxism and to socialism, you have to look at the fact that Nazi the term is national socialist. If you look at the documents of the people that were closest to Hitler, he is very clear that he read Marx. He was inspired by Marx. He was implementing Marxism with his use of dividing the population. But, but because it looked very bad, because the Nazis and the communists didn't get along, they did not want to be publicly aligned with anything having to do with the communists. So that was a whole thing. But it is really fascinating if you like history to go check that out if you want to. 
But back to the cultural Marxism aspect, usually if I had my audio button, this is where I would press the button. But this is a friendly reminder that Black Lives Matter, the co-founders identify as trained Marxists. They said so on a leftist radio show where the radio host was saying, you know, the people on the left are a little concerned that Black Lives Matter has all this money, all this support, all this attention, all this promotion. And what are you doing with it? Are you ideologically driven? Are you rooted in core ideology? Because they were worried. And the founder of Black Lives Matter says, oh, no, no, don't worry. Please don't fear at all. We're actually trained Marxists. We knew exactly what we were doing. I mean, come on, you guys. So they obviously, Black Lives Matter, you've seen the kind of division that they sow. They are using that cultural form of Marxism to divide us. And like I was saying in the beginning of the episode, we see the rise of not just this CRT stuff and these race relations getting worse in America, but you also see with that and the rise of economic socialism being supported by younger and younger Americans, you also have, on the other hand, these like wild gender theorists and people that are promoting wildly inappropriate stuff to children and and these these crazy things with pronouns, the crazy things with sexual education in the classroom. It's just getting a little crazy. And as you create all these identities, as you create all these pronouns, as you create all these new sexualities, you're seeing a use of the LGBTQ community that's just literally becoming a flag of hundreds of colors and shapes because they keep adding more and more people in. It's almost a great symbolic thing to represent all of the cultural Marxism happening in our country, where there are so many ways to divide people in America today because they're coming up with all sorts of identity. Instead of just having a personality, people need to take each thing and come up with a new identity and word for it and create a new class of victimhood. And so it's playing into that cultural Marxism. Now, let's move on to the manufacturing or taking advantage of a natural crisis. Because again, I used to talk about this stuff during 2019, like 2018 into 2019. And it was because AOC was coming to power. She was saying, and everybody else on her side, they were saying that the world was going to end in 10 years because of climate change. So we must implement economic socialism with the Green New Deal and help nationalize industries in America, things that have destroyed other countries like Venezuela before. We must do these things all in the name of preventing the world from ending. They were telling kids, and kids were doing it, they were skipping school every Friday to do those climate change protests. You see kids going to Capitol Hill and crying in front of this is really bad to me. The Sunrise Movement was taking children to go protest and talk to politicians on Capitol Hill and cry in front of them and scream in front of them, saying, don't you care about my future? Do you want me dead? They're using kids as little political ploys, all in the name of saving the world from ending. But what do we have to do? We have to implement economic socialist policies to do this? So you're scaring people into supporting an idea. And this is going back. Let's do another story because this provides some context. In about 1891, there was a famine in Russia, right? Before the Russian Revolution, before the communists come. And Vladimir Lenin was a well-to-do young man there. Okay, he's from a well-to-do family. He's kind of like Bernie Sanders, who has three houses, but apparently leads the rise of socialism in America in 2016. Vladimir Lenin was well-to-do. Millions of people are dying in this famine. And Vladimir Lenin is later documented talking about this moment in his life where he could have helped people in this famine. And he says he specifically didn't because he had plans 
for Russia. He had plans to implement communism, and he knew how radical and dangerous these things would seem, these ideas, these policies would seem to just average people in his country who would probably be like, heck no, if they were in their right state of mind, if they were at peace in their life, if everything was going normal. And he knew the only way to get the people of Russia to support such radical plans would be to scare the heck out of them, to get them into a state of fear, of uncertainty, and of just pure desire for more stability in their life, for some sort of protection, for some sort of safety and stability and security. They would desire that more than their sanity and any rational thinking. Because he knew that in a right state of mind, they would say heck no to these ideas. But if they were scared enough, they might be willing to take a chance or take a risk for change if it just meant some sort of protection. So I would tell that story in a more detailed way, obviously, on stage and then talk about and and go down the list of the fear mongering being used against us with climate change and how if you read the websites, if you read the details of these people's pages that are advocating for things like the Green New Deal, they're all talking about implementing economic socialism in the long run. So I would do this. But then COVID hit. And in March 2020, Morgan Zeggers with my mother, because we were doing the 15 days to slow the spread and we were having fun with it, and we didn't realize how serious this was, we wrote a little op-ed piece together. And I remember my mom was so happy that we did this together. We sat in the cabin in upstate New York where we were, and we wrote this little op-ed based around my speech that said, as we enter this time of uncertainty and fear, we have to remember that the radical left throughout history will use a moment of fear and uncertainty to get us to agree to hand over control and power to them in completely unstable ways. So please be careful of what you agree to in this time of uncertainty. It was just a little warning of like, please be careful because this is what they do. They either manufacture a crisis or they take advantage of a natural crisis. And I'd say COVID was a nice little combination of the two. How about that? But that's what we were dealing with. And I don't have to talk much about COVID because you guys know exactly what happened over the last few years. You've seen it. Okay. You've seen it. Apparently some stuff is happening with the vaccine right now. I don't know because I'm on my fast from the news, but apparently some stuff is happening right now with the vaccine where they're admitting finally that there's enough connections to strokes that they're starting to walk it back. Apparently they're doing stuff with the military mandate and stripping that back again. I'm sorry. I know I'm usually a source for this kind of stuff, but I am not because of the fast from the news. But the whole point is that for a long time before COVID happened, I was coming more and more to the realization that this kind of stuff happens every time and unprecedented levels of power in a country are handed over to the regime that's rising to power, that's trying to bring radical leftism to the nation because they create or ride the wave of a crisis in society. Interesting, right? Now, that being said, I appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk about more stuff in detail, I'm sure, in the future, but just wanted to give a, a overview and kind of reroute you on these core topics as we get a little carried away with whatever's going on in the news week by week. We kind of forget, wait a second, this, these are repeated trends. This, is, this has been seen before time and time. How do we stay calm and manage what's going on with rational thought, critical thinking skills? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Hope you guys have a nice rest of 
the day. I'll see you next episode. Thank you.